This audio is from the Axis Church and is part of the sermon series, First John, Seeing Through the Gray, A Guide to Living in the World. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. Father, it's amazing that you love us, that you give us your word to to reveal yourself, and you've ultimately demonstrated your love to us in Jesus. Thank you that you have revealed this to us. Father, I pray that as we go into this text this morning, I ask that you would help us Because, Father, what we need this morning is to see the great love that you have for us. Because I know that will change us. I know that would change our hearts. It would change our church. It would change this city if we truly saw how great and how deep your love is for us. So, Lord, as as we dive into this text, I pray that you would help us, that you would be with us, that you would draw near to us. Lord, I pray that you would just be revealing our own sin and our own hearts to us this morning because they are very deceitful and we want to we want to know the truth we want to know who you are and how you've revealed yourself to us i trust that you're going to do this would you just be with us and we ask all this in the name of christ amen well again welcome to the axis church Uh, my name is nate i'm one of the leaders here Uh, my wife who just read the text for us. We lead a Sunday night comm group as well in North Nashville. So if you're looking for a comm group, you can definitely talk to us as well. Um, Really excited that you're here this morning. Um, We're continuing our series in in the book of 1 John. And what we're seeing is that John is writing this, this book to give us assurance that we are Christians. He's writing to an audience who is um, battling a lot of false teachers. And so he's writing to them so that they may know that they know the true God. And throughout this letter, John tells us that we can be sure that we're Christians. You can know that you know Christ. And we've seen that John is very black and white in the way he's writing and in the things he's saying. And we live in a culture that's basically a culture of tolerance, and so John is very bold, and he helps us to see through the gray area, and he helps us to see what the truth is, and how we should see the truth, and how we should think about it, and it helps us to see through, especially in our culture where it's so much, um, there's not really black and white, but John is very bold. John John is very much wanting us to see that things are at least what he's writing to us, very black and white. And so he's helped us, and I think he's, he's helping us as we've studied this. And so he gives us what we might call tests or evidence throughout this book so that we can know and so that we can have assurance of, of our salvation. And so in this passage today, he comes back to some of these evidences and tests. And so in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, you could say that the theme of this passage is that the love of God in Christ Jesus obligates us to love one another. 
And as we see what he has done in Christ and who God is, this should obligate, obligate us and motivate us to love one another. And my prayer is today that, that we'll just see a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. In our culture, we, we can't assume what we all mean by the word love. And so, just as a few examples, if you were to ask Nicholas Sparks, author of The Notebook, what, what, what is love? Nicholas would say, love is like the wind. You can't see it, but you can feel it. Sarah Dessen, a, a modern-day author, she wrote this, this lullaby. Some of you may know this. Um, she says that love is needing someone. Love is putting up with someone's bad qualities because they somehow complete you. I'm not sure if the bad qualities complete you or if the person themselves complete you. But anyway, love is needing someone. Cultural theologian Calvin Broadus, a.k.a. Snoop Lion, also Snoop Dogg, formerly known as Snoop Doggy Dog, he says love is an unexplainable feeling. It's an expression. It's a touch. It's a feel. Once you feel it, it's like no other thing in the world. One of the premier experts on love, Jane Austen, author of Pride and Prejudice, she says concerning love, the more I know of the world, the more I am convinced that I shall never see a man whom I can really love because I require so much in other words, if you don't meet my needs and meet my expectations and serve me, then I, I really can't love you. And so our culture has all kinds of ideas as to what love is. Our culture says that love is romantic feelings. It's just physical attraction. Maybe, and I, I know some think that love is sex, or love is benefiting from someone, finding fulfillment in someone. Love is just loving words alone. I mean, how many middle schoolers and high schoolers, they say, I love you, and that's, well, we're in love. This is what love is. They think it's just words alone. Some think that love is just loving actions alone, so you never have to verbally express it. It's just, look at all I do for you. And some think love is just simply being in love. That's what love is. And it's interesting because the world tries to explain and give an account for the existence of love in this world. Where does love come from? How can there be such, such a thing? And so among some of the prevailing types of theories, we see that, that there are psychological theories that simply try to say that love is pretty much just very healthy behavior. Or maybe love is, uh, among evolutionary theories, it's just the result of natural selection and um, survival of the fittest. Some theories say that love is just a mystical feeling, an experience. It's pretty much unexplainable. But I think as we come to the Word of God and as we come to this passage this morning, John is very clear as to what love is, and he's very clear as to how he defines it and what it looks like in this, in this world. And so I think we see three things in this passage that I want us to, to really see this morning John gives us the root of love. John tells us the origin of love. He also gives us the reason and the motivation for love. And he also tells us that, that love, that there's a reassurance in loving one another. So let's look at the text. Let's see what it teaches us this morning regarding love. Because I, this is something that's very important for us, for our church, and for this 
for our, our place in the city of Nashville. So John begins, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So when we consider the root, the origin, the source of love, John is very clear and he immediately informs us that love is from God. Verse 8 and verse 11 both tell us that God is love. God in his nature is love. And so it's not just so much what he does, but it, it's what he is. God doesn't just perform various loving acts or he sometimes loves or he, he simply does loving things. No, the Bible teaches that he loves because he is that kind of God. He is love. To say that God is love means that God continually gives of himself to others for their benefit and for their good and for their joy. Most love in our, in our culture is very animalistic. It says, I'm going to love you so that you're going to do things for me. You owe me. And so really most love in our culture is very self-focused and it's in reality self-love. It's not true love. God's love, on the other hand, is the enduring and selfless commitment of God to give and to serve and to, to benefit the one who is being loved. He gives continually of himself, not because he needs anything, because the Bible teaches that God needs nothing from us. And so when he gives, it's because he is it's out of his fullness. It, it's an overflow of who he is as God. And so just as a fountain that is full begins to overflow, so God overflows and gives out of his fullness, out of who he is. And so the obvious question is, well, I mean, how do we know this? Like, how, do, how do we know that God loves like this? Well, John tells us, verses 9 and 10, in this... The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that for the purpose of that, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the one who receives the punishment and the, absorbs the wrath for our sins. God the Father has made manifest, he's revealed, he's demonstrated his self-giving nature in this. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to bear the punishment for our sins. In this act, we see that God both makes a self-sacrifice and that his sacrifice is for the benefit and the good of those for whom Christ has died. This is both the revealing and the demonstration of love to us, as well as the very epitome and essence and perfect picture of what love is. So let's, let's think here for a moment. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, dwelt perfectly in harmony and harmony unity and love for all eternity. And out of his fullness, he creates man to know and to love and to enjoy God forever. But man turns away from this opportunity to life and to love 
and he rebels against his creator. Man spurns God's giving of himself to them. This is sin. And the sin of Adam and Eve, it brought death into the world, which affects all mankind. It affects every single one of us. And so all of us, because of this, all of us are born into sin and born into death. And God's wrath, because he is righteous and just and holy, his righteous and holy anger and wrath stands over all who turn away from him. Because he must punish sin. And what we've seen in 1 John is that we as sinners, we need both a representative who can live perfectly in our place, as well as a substitute and an advocate who can bear the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Giving us hope. Creating a way out of the hopeless situation that we've gotten ourselves into. And John says this is exactly what has happened. God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world, into our broken and sin-infested world of hopelessness and death. And he sent Jesus for sinners, those who have hated him, those who have trampled on his glory, those who have trampled on his goodness and his love to them, those who did not love God, those who could care less about the love of God. In other words, God has sent Jesus into the world to save us, you and me, because that's us, apart from God. Jesus came to die the death that we deserve to die. That's what the text says, because Jesus came into the world so that we may live. That implies that we're dead. We need salvation from another. We who deserve death can have life. And notice, it's, it's not because we were seeking God. It's not because we were pursuing God. In fact, it's, it's actually not that we loved God at all, but that he loved us and gave himself for us in Jesus Christ to take away the sin that, that we have incurred and the debt that we have incurred and the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. John says this is love. Love is looking at the ones who deserve nothing but bad things, who deserve nothing but judgment, seeing them as they are in their rebellion, and it's pursuing them. It's coming to them where they are, taking all their bad on himself and giving them ultimate good, namely God himself. This is what Jesus has accomplished. This is what it means to love. This is the ultimate demonstration of love, according to the Bible. And this is encouraging for us all. Because God's love for you does not depend on your righteousness. It doesn't depend on your good works. It doesn't depend on your right living. It doesn't depend on your love for him. It doesn't depend on ultimately anything in you. He knows you exactly as you are, and yet he loves you, and he's pursued you in Jesus Christ. And this is love. This should give us hope this morning. And if you haven't yet experienced this kind of love, it's available to you this morning. Listen, these truths are reality. That's why John says in verse 14, and we have seen and testify 
that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is historical fact, John says. There are eyewitnesses to verify it. And anyone can get in on this by trusting and hoping in his Son, Jesus Christ. And also, anyone who has experienced this kind of love that John's talking about, who's born of God, who's part of the family of God, John says they will love one another. And so when John says one another, in context, in the book of 1 John, he's speaking of believers. He's speaking of those in the church. Because there are many who have left the church and they're, they're claiming to be from God, but yet they're not loving the brothers and sisters in the church. And John says these things can't be together. You're, you're, you're proving that you don't love God when you don't love the brothers and sisters in the church. And so we see the reason for love and the motivation for love here. Verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 11. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the reason we should love one another. Because God has so loved us and gave himself for us and for our sins in Christ Jesus. Love isn't something you just work up in your own willpower. Love is from God. Love is a gift of God enabled by God himself. And God's love changes us, changes who we are. Moreover, verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In other words, those who don't love like this prove themselves to not be from God. John is reminding them again of the false teachers who are claiming to be from God, but yet not loving the church, not loving the true brothers and sisters in the church. And by doing this, they're proving that they're not really from God because God is love. There cannot be real knowledge of God that does not express itself in the day-to-day practical love for brothers and sisters in the church. Even more, we know that this love that he's talking about here is a very practical love, something that can be seen by others. And so we read in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or completed in us. In the book of John, in his gospel that he also wrote, John tells us that God is spirit And he says multiple times that no one has ever seen God. And so, but why does he tell us here that no one has ever seen God? It seems a little out of place. John says no one has ever seen God, and I think it's implied, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is completed in us. God's love reaches its completion. It reaches its its goal. It comes into action when we love one another. In other words, the love of God is practically seen in our loving one another. So as we love one another, God's love in us is seen by others. We see the effects of God's love in our lives. It changes us, is what John's saying. And we remember in 1 John 3 that we we preached a few weeks ago, by this, 
we know love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? This is the same thing chapter 4 is saying here. And so we read in chapter 4 and verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Although God cannot be seen, he can be seen in those in whom he abides. God's love was not simply meant for our salvation. It was meant to be fully expressed in our love for one another, proving that we know God himself and that he's among us. This truth is, is meant to, to reassure John's readers that they really, do know love, or they really do know love and they really do know God because these false teachers are, are saying something else. John says it's easy to say, I love God. I love the unseen God. But there is a way in which we can know if you're lying. Do you love one another? Friends, are we loving one another? How much are we loving the world and the things of the world and yet failing to see the need of those around us? Part of our problem, I think, in in failing to love one another well is that we're not even looking, we're not even seeing, we're completely blind to what's happening around us. And because... We're all about our thoughts and our dreams and our comforts and our thoughts and our our decisions that we need to make that are generally all about our benefit and our good and not the benefit and good of those around us. And if the world looks at your life and if the world looks at my life, would they see a love that can only be explained by the supernatural work of God in our lives? Am I living, are you living in such a way that you are living for the eternal good of those whom God has placed in your life? It's something we need to ask ourselves regularly. When you hear of the love of God, does it create gratitude for God and for his, his love to you? Does it make you want to love others the way that he has so loved you? And if you, if you say that you're loving God and you say that you're, you're following him and yet you're not actively seeking to love the brothers and sisters in the church, John says your life is a lie. And this is, this is very black and white for John as he writes this letter. But, but notice what the passage doesn't say. It doesn't say that you can be assured you, you're from God because you only love. That's all it takes is just loving people. So John reminds his readers of how they can be assured and know that they are from God. So we read in verses 12 through 14. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know 
that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So here's the test. We know that we abide in God, that God takes up his residence in us because, John says, he has given us of his spirit. So what's the, it's, it's sort of hard to get the sequence of thought here, but, but let's try. Christians have assurance that they live in God, that they know God because they love one another, verse 12. And we know that we know God and we know that we're living in him because he has given us his spirit. We have a personal experience with the Holy Spirit, verse 13. And the Holy Spirit in John, he always teaches us about Jesus. He always points us to Jesus. And so... The Holy Spirit teaches us all truth about Jesus, namely that God has loved us and sent Jesus to be our Savior. And it's by believing this testimony, it's by believing this truth that we know that we're living and abiding in Christ. So Christians don't only love, nor do they only believe certain things about Jesus and confess certain theological truths. The true message of Christianity is rooted in both historical reality and of Jesus and personal experience with Jesus. And again, these are false, these are truths these false teachers are denying. They didn't believe or teach that Jesus had come into the world in the flesh, and they didn't even think Jesus' death was really necessary because they didn't even think they had sinned, 1 John 1. But John reassures his readers here and us, that we must believe and confess these truths about Jesus in faith and in trust, as well as giving evidence that we are believing them by loving one another. And so he says in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. John wants them to be reassured that they are the ones who hold the truth, who believe the truth. And John says through the power of the Holy Spirit here that those who deny these things are not from God. We give evidence that we're abiding in God and that God abides in us when we believe and confess and hold to these, these truths that John is teaching us and when we love one another. And this is what John says in verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe that God has the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. John is very clear that the love of God is not something only to be felt and experienced, but it's something to be known and believed. He intends for his readers to have confidence that they know God because they are loving one another and believing the love that God has for them in Christ Jesus. To affirm that God has sent Jesus into the world is also to affirm that he has loved us and that he's demonstrated his love for us. And that truth, those truths together change us. Loving one another, in other words, is the mark of those who truly know and follow Jesus. And so in summary, we see in these verses that we can, we can know that we have assurance and we can be reassured of our faith in Christ because one, we love one another. 
Two, because we have the Spirit abiding within us. And three, we confess who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And taken together, these, these things give us reassurance that we know God. And that's what John wants for his readers. He wants them to have assurance that they know God in Christ. So we need to ask ourselves again, does, does this truth give us assurance? Are we, are we assured right now that we're, that we're hoping in and trusting in Jesus because of the way we love one another and of the things that we believe about Jesus Christ? Or does it, does it scare you? Does it concern you? Or does it raise red flags in your life when you think about these things? But we're... We see that John isn't finished encouraging us here. He says in verses 21 or 17 through 21 that he wants us to be assured again. He wants us to have a confidence, and specifically confidence before God Himself. Verse 17 By this is love, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. John now comes back to this theme of perfect or complete love. And John doesn't want us to be depressed or paralyzed by fear of judgment. Verse 17 expresses the same idea that we see in verse 12. When we love one another, it's God's love that's being perfected and completed in our loving one another. It comes into practical action. God's love reaches its goal. This is amazing. God's love reaches its goal when we love one another. It is no longer just talk, but it's now action. Perfect love, completed love, is when you stop just talking about loving and you actually put it into practice. And I think the church in Nashville needs to hear this. We need to hear this. We live in a city with, with so much good happening. I mean, twice this week I went to coffee shops and you see people coming in and they have their Bibles and they're reading C.S. Lewis books and they're, they're talking about Jesus and they're praying. In other words, there's a lot of talk about the gospel in Nashville. There's a lot of talk about the gospel in even our midst. But we also live in a city, just for example, where homelessness is a real issue. We live in a city that one out of three children in Davidson County are living in poverty right now. You come to my neighborhood, it's probably more like one out of two. You go to some other neighborhoods that I can name, and it's probably more like two out of three or three out of four. We live in a city in which there are neighborhoods where there's like burglaries and robberies and shootings and prostitution is just as common as the street corner church that you see every single block. Those things coexist together. In other words, there's this huge disconnect between talking about the love of God and actually living it out. And it's actually not taking effect in our hearts like it's intended to take effect. And so all of these things just describe symptoms of something deeper that there's brokenness and that there's darkness in which the love of God in Christ Jesus is not yet penetrating and changing. And John tells us, friends, 
Let us not love in word or, or talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. John wants us to experience the love of God in word and deed and knowledge and experience, sharing the love of God with others. And when we love one another with more than just talk, and God's love in us reaches its goal of, of being put into practice day to day that can be seen among us, then we will have a deep and unshakable confidence and assurance before God himself. Lots of talk about love with little practical love being lived out that destroys your assurance. But John says we can have assurance. We can have confidence before God on the day of judgment. And we remember in 1 John 2.28, he says, Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. When we love one another, we abide in him. And so when we love one another, we have confidence before him. Specifically, confidence that enables us to stand before God and not shrink from him when he comes again. And John says we can have this type of confidence because as he is, so also are we in this world. And this statement falls within a passage that over and over it's telling us to love one another and that this is the mark of those who know and love God. And when Christ was in the world, he loved his disciples. And he even tells us to love others as he has so loved us. And thus, when we love as, as Christ has loved us, it proves that we're from him. It proves that we're from the Father. It proves that we're perfectly accepted and loved in Christ Jesus with no fear of shame or guilt or condemnation. And just as Christ is loved by the Father, so we can have this confidence before God himself. This is the reassurance of loving one another. In fact, John says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love, completed love, love that's put into action, casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Real relationships are not and cannot be based on fear. We cannot live for God out of a, a fear of judgment from Him. And then say we love Him. Those two things don't go together. And if you're here this morning and you want to follow Jesus only because you're afraid of his judgment and his anger towards you, John says you don't yet know Jesus and you're not really yet loving him. When there is mutual love between you and between God, you can look forward to the day of judgment with confidence and with anticipation, and with excitement, rather than with fear and with shame. When we realize we have been loved and pursued perfectly by our perfect Father in heaven, this drives out fear and anxiety, and it gives us a confidence before God. And notice John says that whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you're living in fear of judgment, if you're living in fear of, of uh, shame and guilt before God, 
It may be evidence that you haven't yet fully experienced the love of God in Christ. But that can change today because of verse 19. We love because he has first loved us. The reason that we can live in confidence, assured of our standing before God, is not because we love God perfectly. It's not because we love one another perfectly. It's not because we have right theology and right doctrine. It's not because we feed the homeless and give to the poor. In fact, it's not because of anything we do ultimately. It's because the Father has first loved us. And he sent his son to bear the punishment that we fear and that we deserve. And he has made us his children through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is our hope. This is our joy. This gives us rock-solid confidence to stand before God without any fear of condemnation or shame or guilt. And you can experience this. You can experience this this morning. The main instrument that God uses to bring us into a relationship of love with himself is not fear of his judgment, but the fact of his love for us. Any love that we have for God, any love that we have for one another, it's based on his previous love for us and pursuit of us. Our worship, our lives are a continual response to the great love shown to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John summarizes us here, and he reminds us that the love of God cannot be separated from loving one another. His purpose is to reassure his readers who do love their fellow believers that they really do know God, that they really are walking in the light and abiding in God. Do we deep down believe that we can love God and yet not love others? And if you're here this morning and you're, you're walking in the light and you're loving your fellow brothers and sisters that God has put in your midst in this church or whatever church you're from, you can be assured, John says, that, that God's love is flowing through you and you're giving evidence that you're walking in Christ. But if you're convicted this morning that you're not loving one another the way you're called to love one another, that the love of God is not changing you as it should. And and when this happens, what it does is our confidence before God, it begins to dissolve. Because we know that what we're saying verbally is not what we're living. And we feel weak and we feel inauthentic before others. And especially before God. So we all need to examine ourselves. Are we really fulfilling the command to love one another? Are we pursuing one another? Are we giving of ourselves for the benefit and good, the eternal benefit and good of one another? What's going to change us is not trying harder. 
What's going to change us is getting a glimpse of the greatest love that has ever been demonstrated. It's going to be by, by seeing the love of God in Christ for us who deserve death and who deserve his, the punishment for our sins. And it's going, to see, it's going to be by seeing and running to that demonstration of love in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's there that we're going to find forgiveness for failing to love one another. And it's there that we're going to find the motivation and the hope and the power that we need to love one another and to abide in God. Friends, God is love. And love is from God. And he has demonstrated this great love for us by giving his son. And when we partake of this amazing love, we are changed And it's because of this that we ought to love one another. And as we love one another, as the love of God is put into practice, we can be assured and we will be reassured before God and before one another that God has saved us, that he has changed us, and people will see this. It will be evident among us that the love of God truly is changing us and God will be seen. The unseen God will be seen among us. Friends, let us press in to the love of God in the gospel together. That's what we're called to do. That's what John is calling us to do. In fact, that's what Jesus is calling us to do. And by his power, we can do that. This is my prayer that that we would live this out, that the love of God would be so evident among us that people would not walk into the Axis Church without being able to say, something is different there. This is our prayer. Amen? Every week we come together as the loved family of God to be reminded and to be reassured of God's great love for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by partaking of the Lord's Supper, by partaking of communion. So as we transition to this time of communion, we're going to have servers in the front. The band's going to play music. And what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to come forward. We're going to have broken pieces of bread which represent the body of Christ broken for us in our place. We're going to have wine or juice, whatever your age or conscience permits, that represents the blood of Christ poured out for us because of our sin. And as we come together and we take this, this is a family meal, and so the Bible would would teach against non-Christians partaking of this meal. And as we come forward this morning, Christian, I want you to look around because... The people who are partaking of this, they're giving testimony to the fact that God's love has changed them. These are your brothers and sisters for whom Christ has died. And he loves them deeply. And he loves you. And he wants us to love one another. And so this morning we invite you to partake communion. And as you go back to your seat and you have the bread and the wine or juice We invite you to partake together, to just to be reminded of the love that God has shown us, not just individually, but corporately as a family. And let this be a practical expression of our love for one another. 
And if you feel led, you can pray with one another. You can just be encouraged together that Christ has came and he's demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And maybe this morning there needs to be reconciliation take place because there are people in this body that you're not loving well. Maybe you're convicted of that and maybe you've closed your heart against somebody here and you need to repent of that. We would love to see reconciliation take place this morning. So friends, the the band can come forward and let us be encouraged as we partake of the Lord's Supper and as we're reminded of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that your love is such that we cannot even fully comprehend how much you love us and how much you have pursued us. Father, thank you that you have, you have brought us here and that you're pursuing us right now. Father, you want our hearts, you want us to, to fully love you and you want us to, to be loving one another. So Father, we pray, we confess that we don't do that perfectly. Father, we need your help here. We need you to remind us and to open our eyes to the great love that you have for us. We need you to motivate our hearts to love one another. Not as a, as a way to pay you back, but as a way to respond to your love for us in Christ. Father, thank you for your love. I pray that you would convict our hearts, that you would reassure our hearts right now in confidence before you, that you would remind us of the love that you have for us corporately. Father, stir our hearts for one another. Make us faithful in stirring up love in one another and encouraging one another and living out the gospel with each other. Father, thank you for Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.